0: Good morning, it is time to get up with an NFC East showdown and a second half surge that has everyone saying, how about them Cowboys? Plus, overturned in an instant controversy in Minnesota, do the Patriots have the right to be upset about this? Because they are, and a thriller in Detroit, as Josh Allen's late throw steals the show, but could one big injury change everything for Buffalo? Welcome to Get Up. I am Dan Graziano in for Greeny. What a Thanksgiving it was in the NFL here at the Seaport. To talk about it with me, it's Sam Ocho. And we have Rob Ninkovich and Chris Canty also joining us this morning. As you see, they are fired up and ready to go and let us start with the game of the night. Cowboys hosting the Giants on Thanksgiving. Less than a minute to go in the first quarter. Cowboys are down 3-0. They got a first and ten. From the Giants, 31, here's Dak Prescott firing a pass into the hands of C.D. Lamb for a 25-yard gain, Sacho. C.D.
1: Lamb, 106 receiving yards. That's the second 100 receiving yard game in the last three games. Here comes Zeke
0: Elliott on the very next play for the touchdown. Zeke had 92 yards on 16 carries in this one. The ensuing Giants possession, look at this catch by Darius Slate. This
1: catch kept them in the game. I get it, it's early, but there was a fourth down conversion earlier in the game, good field position. Get this catch, you take the lead, now you have momentum.
0: Now you have Saquon Barkley punching it in from one yard out. That gives the Giants a 10-7 lead, and look at this. Two minutes to go
1: in the first half, same score. What happened? Well, this is a nice play by the defense. It's not on deck. This throw is where it's supposed to be thrown, but Defender Love makes the play. Huge play, second interception in the first half.
0: Giants would get a field goal lead 13-7 to at the half, but the second half was all Cowboys. Third and 12 from the Giants, 24 in the third quarter. Back to CeeDee Lamb for 14. Puts the Cowboys in the red zone. A few plays later, third and goal from the 15. Dalton Schultz for the touchdown.
1: There were three touchdowns from tight ends in this game. They had four all season long. Next, Giants drive. Giants are going for it on fourth and one from their own 45. But what happened? Momentum shifting play. Yes, I get it. The ball's behind you, but this is fourth and one. You're down by one early in the third quarter. You get this first down. Now you have the momentum. You miss it. You don't ensuing Cowboys
0: possession. They got a second and five from the Giants,
1: 25. Here's Dak
0: again, here's C.D. Lamb again. Love the connection with those two. Look at this catch.
1: Little children, that's my little son right there. C.D. Lamb had no hundred yard receiving games in his first eight games. He's got three in these last two. Rolling
0: now, trapped it off the helmet for the catch. Later in the drive,
1: second and goal. Here's
0: Dalton Schultz again putting the Cowboys up 21-13. to Now just over 12 minutes to play, same score. Cowboys with a second and nine near midfield. Prescott rolls
1: right and finds another tight end, Jake Ferguson, the who tough, does, Oh, well, wait though. Well the tough part is you're oh. a deep. you're taught to go for his legs, but you're not taught <laughs> that he's going to be that athletic. So you go for his legs, he hurdles you. you got enough bounce to my hurdle again. No, I'm going to run over the Who
0: had guys. Jake Ferguson hurdling, guys? It was that kind of second half for Dallas. Later in the drive, second and goal. Hand off to Peyton Hendershot. For the touchdown, whack-a-mole in the kettle. What do you think? Uh, I don't like the little hands thing, Uh, you know, but I like the whack-a-mole creativity. That's That's not how the mole would react. Anyway, here's Micah Parsons just locking down the game like he does. Cowboys win 28-20. Here is uh, Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy on the kind of sloppy victory.
2: To win a game um, when you have, you know, two-to-one penalties of your opponent, you know, that's – that's uh, obviously not where you want to be. We've got to be more disciplined, stop
3: hurting ourselves on, on drives and self-inflicted wounds, whether it be me turning the ball over, being too aggressive, or, or not on the same page as receivers, false starts. We've got to clean all that stuff up. But I'm as confident as I can be. I know what this team is capable of, especially with this defense that we have. As I said, we control everything that's in front of us.
0: Dallas committed a season-high 13 penalties in Thursday's game, and Dak was responsible for both of those turnovers. However, Dallas came out on top. It's his first victory this season when they turned the ball over multiple times. So uh, a win is a win, right? Got a a win. Giants have had a good year. They're tough to beat. But, you know, the the Cowboys' penalty problems were a big story last year. So McCarthy, you heard, raised it there in the news conference. So I'm curious, like, what, let's just, Canty, what did you think? What did you take away from this game for the Dallas Cowboys?
2: Well, they're going to have to play a lot better brand of ball, Graz, if they want to find themselves competing for a championship. If you look at it, they weren't all the way buttoned up. You had 13 penalties that led to four first downs for the New York Giants. You had two-plus territory turnovers, and you had a highly questionable coaching decision by Mike McCarthy early in the game. It's a nothing-nothing ball game. You decide to go for it on fourth and two from your own 40. You set up a point-blank scoring opportunity for the New York Giants. And had it not been for a Tyree Phillips- Uh, illegal, ineligible player downfield, you're talking about that being a touchdown to Isaiah Hodgins rather than them settling for a field goal. So a lot of errant mistakes from the Dallas Cowboys. I know the box score looks good at the end of the game, but people got to keep in mind, this was a one-point ball game with the Dallas Cowboys on the wrong side of it until two minutes in the third quarter. They're going to have to play a lot better if they want to beat the lights of the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: And that's the point, right, Nico? I mean, we're not talking about, like, downgrading a win, but the Cowboys have big dreams here. They think they can win the Super Bowl. So when you watched them yesterday, what did you think?
4: Well, I think that those penalties will probably catch up to them in the playoffs. I mean, think back to Kansas City and D. Ford. I know that's a sore subject for Kansas City fans, but they were literally one snap away from going to a Super Bowl, but there was a penalty there, and and penalties will cost you playoff games. And if you look at last year, the Cowboys led the NFL in penalties, Mm -hmm. and this year, fast forward this year, they're second in penalties. So at the end of the day, you can win those games against poor teams, but when it comes down to a playoff game where it's one possession or two possessions that really decide the outcome of the game, they need to be a lot better. And I just don't think that you can flip a switch, uh, take a magic pill, and there's, the penalties go away. No, that's, that's something that you have to consistently work on, and they consistently lead the NFL in penalties.
0: That has been an issue for a couple years and look they, they were minus two in turnovers yesterday two interceptions by Dak but he had a big <coughs> second half what would you take
1: away from it? Well it was impressive to win despite all those things despite the penalties despite the two early first half turnovers the win was impressive for me for a couple of reasons number one the run game Ezekiel Elliott 92 rushing yards that's his high on the season you saw CeeDee Lamb making huge plays on the season over 100 receiving yards and then you saw that defense specifically you saw Micah Parsons Micah Parsons had another multi-sack game. There was this period of the season where he didn't look healthy. He was dealing with some injuries. He wasn't right. Well, now Micah Parsons is right. You have a healthy Micah Parsons along with guys like Dorrance Armstrong making plays on the inside, you will be able to wreak havoc against other teams that you play.
0: Yeah, Parsons and the defense big a big part of the story this year for Dallas, maybe the biggest. But, you know, the quarterback is always a big part of the story. When, when we watch what Dak Prescott is doing right now, what do you think about his chances of taking this team as far as it wants to go?
1: Well, how, as far as it wants to go is obviously a Super Bowl, yeah. and I still have my doubts. If I'm just being fully transparent, I still have my doubts. That first interception that I saw that he threw to the sideline that was undercut by a backup defensive back, there, there's doubts about that. Uh, C.D. Lamb is playing better, but there's still doubts about their offense. Zico Elliott had his highest rushing output, but still only 92 yards. I still have my doubts about how far, about a Super Bowl when it comes to this team and their offense, right? Defensively, yes, I get it. One of the best. Number one in sacks. Michael Parsons, all the guys. But offensively, we're talking about not just making the playoffs winning the Super Bowls. I still have question marks.
0: How about you, Canty? What do you think about Dak and the offense and the way they look right now?
1: Well, they looked great in the second half, Graz. I mean, Dak
2: Prescott was 11 of 14, two touchdowns and a 149 passer rating. So that's exactly what you want. They were four or five on third downs, and they were two for two in the red zone, and they dominated time of possession in both quarters. That is a formula for success. Kellen Moore put together a masterclass when it came to the distribution of touches. Ten touches for both Zeke and Pollard in the second half. You had Dalton Schultz with two red zone touchdowns, and you had CeeDee Lamb get five catches, four of which went for Cowboys first down. So that's exactly what it should look like. The only problem is you got to put together consecutive good halves in order to win a playoff game, and I think that's the lens that we have to view this Dallas Cowboys team through. And so there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made between now and when the second season starts in order for me to buy into them being a true title contender. Ninko, is this a Super Bowl offense?
4: Uh, No, I don't think it's a Super Bowl offense. The way way that I see it is this team's fate relies on Dak. If Dak is average, so if Dak is middle of the road, they're not going to be a Super Bowl team. Dak has to be better than average. He has to be great. If Dak is great, the team will follow Dak in the production that he produces. That's why everyone's talking about OBJ and going to get another receiver because I think – People can watch this team and say they're one piece away from being a top-tier competing with those teams that we know they're offensively explosive, they can score in one possession. If you watch the Cowboys, they're they're slow and steady. The running game has to be there. They have to have balance, and then they take shots downfield. They're not just a Dak, throw the ball 50 times. They have to have balance. They have to have the running game with the two-headed monster in the backfield.
0: And we'll get into the uh, Cowboys and Odell situation a little bit later in the show, but I wanted to, I want to talk about the team they beat yesterday because the Giants are I mean they, they were heavy underdogs, but they are seven and four. They're still you know if the season ended today they're in the playoffs, but I think it feels am I wrong? I think it feels like it's starting to
1: leak a little bit. It definitely does. They're seven and four. Remember yesterday before they were seven and three. Before yeah. that they were six. So like so they've been losing a lot of their games recently. So they started off hot. They've been losing. It's one of those things where you're you're. Overachieving. The Giants have definitely overachieved early in the season, and now is when reality starts to hit in, reality starts to set in. Yes, there are injuries, but the reality of, man, we are not on the level of the Cowboys. I think they lost 11 of the last 12 against the Cowboys, and I get it. New coach, new GM, all those things, but this is when the rubber really meets the road. Those playoff teams start to ascend, and the teams that aren't playoff teams start to descend. That's what's happening with the New York Giants.
0: So, Chris Canty, what, what is the rest of this? I mean, they're obviously going to try and make the playoffs, but they are – A little undermanned, and we saw that yesterday with all the injuries and everything. If you're the Giants, what is the rest of this season about for you?
2: Well, it's about trying to make a playoff push, but secondarily, I think this is going to be a referendum on Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. How are these guys going to fit into Brian Daybold and Joe Shane's long-term plans in terms of this rebuild that they set out with at the start of the offseason? So I think those are the questions that have to be answered. They'll be playing meaningful games down the stretch. You've got games against four division opponents, you're on the road against the Minnesota Vikings, and you're playing the Fighting Jeff Saturdays at home on New Year's Day. So I think it's a nice sample size to be able to evaluate Saquon and Daniel Jones to see if these guys belong. Uh, in the long-term plans for the organization moving forward,
0: Nico, to the extent that the rest of the season is about that evaluation for the Giants, how much will it help that these are meaningful games? That that the Giants they are they are trying to win these games even as they're trying to make these evaluations. Well, I,
4: I think it helps obviously to put themselves in a position to be in the playoffs but at the end of the day I think it, it more so is what does Brian Dayball want his offense to look like if you go back to what he was de- what he was coaching in Buffalo they look completely different now he goes to New York he has to work with the pieces that are there if you were to ask any Giants fan look this team is 7-4 and four right now I'm sure that they would be ecstatic and I think they've outperformed anyone's expectations on what they were doing in supposedly a rebuild year now back to what Canty's saying You know, is Barkley, paying Barkley, something that you want to tie yourself to knowing that you might want to be a more throw- or pass-happy offense versus a run-first team with Barkley? You know he is the guy. He is the go-to guy. And then, obviously, the quarterback position, we all know that's the most important position in football.
0: Both Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones uh, eligible for free agency at the end of this year. So a lot of decisions need to be made uh, for the Giants heading into the offseason. We'll see how the rest of the season goes for them in the meantime. That was only one of three very good games on Thanksgiving. When we come back, we're going to talk about the controversial call in Minnesota that has us asking again, what's a catch? Do the Patriots have the right to be mad? And it was a thriller in Detroit. Josh Allen made a late throw to steal the show, but could be an injury to one of their biggest defensive stars that is the big story coming out of this one for buffalo
5: shopping for mother's day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute but macy's gift finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for mother's day whether you're shopping for your sister's first mother's day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash giftfinder today. That's Macy's.com slash giftfinder. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. you for a limited time only at dell.com slash deals that's dell.com slash deals passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more
0: eligible items only exclusions apply all right while you were digesting the patriots visited the vikings for a thanksgiving day matchup we are five minutes left in the second quarter with the vikings down 13 to 10 third and seven from their own 28 Kirk cousins to Justin Jefferson. Get used to hearing that, Sacho. Is
1: there anything that he can't do? This is from the beginning to the end. Justin Jefferson has been making plays all season long. He continued on his great performance last night. That
0: sets this up third and goal to TJ Hawkinson. Off play action, big trade deadline pickup for the Vikings. They're up 16 to 13 after a missed PAT. Early third quarter now, score tied at 16. Patriots second and seven from the Vikings, 37. Mac Jones to Hunter Henry.
1: Hunter Henry. So it's hard to guard a tight end, especially when you're a smaller player. But Hunter Henry is elusive. He's got a, a, the ability to make people miss, especially in the, in the, when he's getting to the end.
0: Here's another guy that makes people miss. This is Kenny Wangu set to return the ensuing kickoff for the Vikings and. In- Return it, he does, 97 yards for a touchdown to tie the game back up.
1: He had two last season, this second year, third year player at Iowa State, dominant kickoff returner. Special teams weapon for the Vikings. Next Patriots possession, third
0: and goal at the Vikings' six. Jones finds Hunter Henry at the goal line. He dives for the touchdown, or does he? The play would be reviewed, and the officials ruled that the ball touched the ground and caused Henry to lose control. Calls overturned. Henry can't believe it.
1: Patriots settle for a field goal and go up three. What do you think? This is tough. Well, in real time, it looks like a catch. When you replay it that slow, it looks like it hit the ground, so you got to go with the refs' calls. More on
0: that in a second. Fourth quarter, second and one near midfield for the Vikings. Cousins to Jefferson, another ho
1: hum 36 yards. What do you think? This is a pretty good one. Nine receptions, 139 yards. Justin Jefferson doing what Justin Jefferson does. Un- Leads the lead in receiving yards. Unstoppable. Cousins then
0: on the next play, finding Adam Thielen in the back of the end zone for the toe tap. 15-yard touchdown. Vikings up 33-26. Now under four minutes left in the game. Patriots trying to stay alive. Mac Jones throws the screen to Ramondre Stevenson who runs for 40 before getting
1: shoved out of bounds. 112 scrimmage yards for Ramondre Stevenson. This dude is one of the best offensive players on this team specifically.
0: Outstanding young player later in the drive. Third and seven. Jones going to get sacked by Daniil Hunter. Nine-yard loss. Frustration for the Pats. Two minutes left in the game now. The Vikings fans are getting loud. It's fourth and 16. Here's Jones throwing deep to a diving. Nelson Aguilar, but it's just out of reach. Turnover on downs. Vikings win 33-26. to 26. Hey, Bill Belichick, what did you think of that call getting overturned? Did you get any explanation on the Hunter Henry catch that was overturned? Why
5: don't you guys go to the officials with your pool reporter and ask them about the play? i let them explain it to you. Right? Like, isn't that what you do? Thank you.
0: Uh, actually, that is what you do. And, and our Mike Reese was the pool reporter last night who went to Walt Anderson, the NFL senior vice president of officiating, about that call. And uh, the question from Mike was, he has two hands on it. How much is that factored into this decision? And Anderson responded, well, if he had maintained control of the ball with two hands, even if the ball were to touch the ground, you don't lose control of the ball after it touches the ground. That would still be a catch. So that is the explanation that Belichick was uh, asking the media to go get for him. I I wonder if he's satisfied with it. Ninko, are you? What do you think of that play?
4: Well, look, the Patriots have dealt with plays like that in the past. If you think back to the Steelers matchup where uh, Jesse James, I think, was the guy that extended the football, touched the ground, and they called it a no touchdown. Um, In this instance, you got to go with what the rule is. And if, you, if the ball touches the ground, you have to complete the catch fully. The ball did move a little bit. I know it's a really tough pill to swallow. Um, but at the end of the day, they're going back to what the rules in, in place say and what the review showed. That's why they called it incomplete.
0: Yeah, you, watching you can see why they overturned it. I guess there's argument to be made about whether you know, conclusive evidence. You can kind of see the issue. What do you think of that one, Canty?
2: yeah Graz I'm on the latter part of what you just said I didn't think it was anything conclusive the call on the field should have stood but that's not why the New England Patriots lost the game last night you still had 20 minutes of game clock left at that point you lost the game because your special teams allowed a touchdown to open the second half and they allowed a drive to continue for the Minnesota Vikings that resulted in a touchdown after your defense got a stop uh and got them off the field and forced them to punt so that's what Bill Belichick should be furious about. It were a lot of stupid mistakes from the New England Patriots last night. And that's not something that 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 we typically come to expect from Bill Belichick coach teams, especially a team that's fighting for their playoff lives.
0: Yeah, six and five, the Patriots. I mean look, they've, you know, calls go against you sometimes, but like the, the to point, they weren't able to overcome it. They made too many mistakes. Sacho, do you think the Patriots are a playoff team?
1: I don't. I don't think they're a playoff teams. Defensively, they struggled. Specifically yesterday, uh, what is it, 80% completion percentage for Kirk Cousins, number one? And yeah, you could say, well, the <coughs> weeks before they checked out the Jets. Well, Je- Zach Wilson's bench now. Oh, they've been great. So when they're playing teams that have sustainable and sufficient offenses, they sh- they've struggled. And so that's why they're not a playoff team. And offensively, they're not what they need to be offensively.
0: Nico, what did you see last night from your former team?
4: Well, I, I saw some undisciplined play. You think on the, the personal foul? Um, on Adam Thielen when he was down on the ground in the spearing where he got hit in the head. That was a flag all day. Um, there was a couple face mask penalties, then special teams running running into the punter. When you run into the punter, you give them five yards, they, they score on that. So think about it. The Patriots basically gave up 14 points on special teams with a kickoff return for a touchdown, running into the punter, which extended a drive for another touchdown. That's undisciplined, and that's uncharacteristic of what a Patriot team looks like.
0: All right, big bounce back though for the uh, home team though. Minnesota. I mean, they're they had a the beatdown at the hands of the Cowboys on Sunday. They come back with a strong effort here. They're about to clinch their division. I mean, what, what do you think about Minnesota as a legit playoff contender?
1: It's the way they've been winning their games. They've had six come from behind wins, i.e. I- they've been down in the fourth quarter overtime. That's that's it. People talk about, man, it's close games. Are there really – can we believe it? The NFL is all about one-score games. And what the Vikings have been able to do this year, they haven't been able to do last year, is win those one-score games. Remember last year, all those one-score games that they lost, it might have been seven of them. This year, they've won six. And so that's the confidence I have in this Vikings team. They know how to win it close. And in the NFL, that's what it shows all the games are going to be.
0: Tanti, what would you see from Minnesota? Hey,
2: that dude, number 18, pretty damn good at his yeah, job. Uh, I mean, Bill Belichick usually tries to take away your number one threat. And Justin Jefferson is clearly that for the Minnesota Vikings. But they didn't come close to being able to accomplish that. Justin Jefferson in the first cab, six catches for 94 yards on the way to a 9 catch, 139 performance with a touchdown. The dude is unbelievable, and having him out on the field always gives that Vikings offense a chance.
0: And big reason obviously why Minnesota is nine and two and in firm control uh, of the NFC. North. Lots more to discuss this morning on Get Up. When we come back, the Cowboys offense was cooking in the second half last night. Does Dallas have enough on offense? They need to add Odell. We'll talk about that next. Plus, it's the game of the year in college football. Can Michigan upset Ohio State tomorrow? A Buckeyes legend and former cowboy, by the way, stopped by next on Get Up. Back on Get Up with this morning's wake-up call. Here is Brad Sham from the Cowboys Radio Network. Snap on third down. Back to throw. Good pickup block. McGovern into the end zone. It is caught
2: by Schultz. Touchdown over McLeod. And that is saving the drive. Wow. Cowboys
0: would go on to win that game 28-20. Dallas is now 4-1. and Since quarterback Dak Prescott returned in week seven, averaging an NFL best 33.8 points per game in that time. So look, the the, the offense seems to be working very well, and yet there's all this conversation from inside the Cowboys building about trying to go out and get Odell Beckham Jr. and add him as sort of a final piece uh, to that offense. So uh, Rob Ninkovich, do the Cowboys need that?
4: No, I don't think the Cowboys need that. And, and listen, offensively, there's only so many possessions and there's only so many touches to go around. I get it. OBJ is a guy that you see as a polarizing figure who made a heck of a catch about 10 years ago. I, I get he was great last year in the Super Bowl, but he also hurt his knee, and it's the second time he hurt his knee. And, and that concerns me. Having two ACLs, because I know from experience having torn my ACL, that when you come back, You don't feel that great. And to stick your foot in the ground and to do everything that you have to do as a receiver, I don't think the Cowboys are going to get the benefits out of it from signing him. What the public and the outside fan base is going to want to to expect from a player like OBJ if they do sign him. So I don't think it's a great fit.
2: What do you think, Chris? Chris? Yeah, the Cowboys absolutely need to sign Odell Beckham Jr. And guys, I get it. The Cowboys offense since Dak has stepped in has looked unbelievable. Over the last four games, you're talking about 22 scoring drives to only 10 punts. So for context, if those numbers are even, your offense is outstanding. But we're not talking about playing against the Chicago Bears or the Minnesota Vikings or the New York Giants or the Green Bay Packers. We're talking about playing against the elite of the elite in the NFC. And if you look at the Cowboys receivers, they've only got Two touchdowns outside of C.D. Lamb's receiving touchdowns this year. They need a guy to come in like Odell that can win against tight man coverage. We saw it ended up being a problem in their playoff game against the 49ers. Dak Prescott was 13-26 targeted receivers in that game with a 26 QBR. They need to go out and get another guy that has the potential to be a difference maker in one-on-one situations in the passing game. Odell fits the bill.
0: I guess that's the question, right? Potential. Yeah. Nico, what do you got?
4: No, I have a question for Canty. If you sign OBJ, how many touches should he have when he comes in? Like if you sign him in December, how many touches, how many catches is he going to
2: have through December? I don't know how many catches that he's going to have in December, Nico. but the whole point is making sure he's ready for January because the Cowboys have title aspirations. I don't care about the regular season. What we're trying to do is position ourselves to make a run at winning the division, but then also to make sure we have the very best chance at being able to make a run in the playoffs. It looks like they're going to have to go the wild card route as things are right now. And guys, the last decade, there have only been two quarterbacks that have been able to do that. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Dak Prescott are either one of those dudes, so you want to give your quarterback as much firepower as you can in order to help him accomplish the goal.
0: And We'll see what happens. Odell, obviously significant impact for the Rams last year, but did suffer that significant knee injury in the Super Bowl, so the Cowboys have to figure some things out about how healthy he is. We'll obviously stay on top of this story as it moves along. But now we want to go on a rivalry week in college football. Look at this slate of games. Notre Dame gonna look to play spoiler against USC. The Irish have won four straight in this series however USC is 10 and 1 this year and has scored 40 or more points in nine of those games. Clemson is gonna host South Carolina Saturday at noon on ABC. The Gamecocks have lost seven straight games against the Tigers matching the longest losing streak by either school in the history of that series. And then Ohio State and Michigan will meet as undefeated teams for the first time since 2006. The winner clinches a spot in the Big Ten Championship game and will be a near lock for the playoff. How much of a lock? Look at this. The All-State Playoff Predictor gives the Wolverines a 97% chance to get in if they win and a 75% chance if they lose. Meanwhile, the Buckeyes would still have an 87% chance to get in with a loss Saturday at the Shoe, and you see there, 99% chance uh, with a win. Joey Galloway joins us now with Sam Acho still with us. Michigan comes into this game as 7.5-point underdogs. Somebody said in my ear during the break it might already be up to 8. Joey, how does Michigan pull this off, if, if they can't?
3: Well, they have to run the ball, number one, uh, and, and I'm not sure about the health of Blake Corum. I'm not sure Donovan Edwards will be playing, uh, but they need one of those two guys to play in this game if they're going to have a chance to win. And not because they just have to run over the defense of Ohio State, but because their offense comes from their ability to run the ball. J.J. McCarthy, uh, the play-action passes, all those come because Blake Corum has been so good this year running the football. And if they can't do that, I'm not sure they can win this game.
1: And defensively, they're going to have to try and slow down the number two offense in all college football. Ohio State averages 46 points per game. That's number two in all college football. Now, statistically, Michigan's defense is number one in some categories, number two in some categories. But they haven't played a team like Ohio State. They've played teams like UConn, like Hawaii, like Colorado State. That's where it can help buffer those stats. And so you got to... There are also injuries to Ohio State's running backs as well. That's going to be a big factor. But we all know it's those receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr., some of those guys. That's who you're going to have to slow down and stop if you want to find a way to win this game.
0: I wonder if that run game that Joey talks about is key to helping out that defense, maybe keep Ohio State off the field a little bit. Flip it to the other side. Ohio State looking for revenge uh, after losing this game last year. What's the key for them?
1: It's going to be that offense. And think about it. Michigan hasn't beat Ohio State in Columbus since November 18th, year 2000. C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for Ohio State, wasn't even born. And so it's going to be sticking to their offense. And obviously, Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator, shutting down the run. Ohio State has to shut down the run of Michigan and then offensively have to be what they've been all season long, minus the Northwestern game. You have to be explosive on offense, not just passing the ball, running it as well. So you have to be dynamic offensively and then defensively make Michigan pass the rock.
0: Joey, these teams are ranked number two and three right now in the country. Should the loser still have a case for the, for the making the playoff?
3: If Ohio State loses this game, they'll still be in the conversation, but they're going to need some help. They're going to need Clemson to lose. They're going to need USC to lose, and that will make their path a whole lot easier because they played Notre Dame the first game of the season, which is looking like a much better win now than it did hmm. uh, midway through the season when Notre Dame took some tough losses. But now Notre Dame ranked number 15. And because Ohio State beat that team, uh, Notre Dame will be a team that has beaten Clemson. And if Notre Dame wins this weekend coming up, they will have beaten USC. So Ohio State will have that chip in their pocket that they beat the team that knocked off those other teams. Whereas Ocho just mentioned, the teams that Michigan played before they got into the Big Ten schedule, which is Hawaii, Colorado State, UConn might be the best out of those three teams. It would be tough because now Michigan only has the win against number 11 Penn State on their resume with a very impressive win. They they ran them out of the stadium, but that would be their only key win of the season. So if they lose this one, it would be tough for Michigan to stay in the conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm with that 100 percent. That's the thing. LSU was on the outside looking in. If LSU beats Georgia, different conversation. LSU loses, now there's opportunity for Ohio State because of their non-conference schedule. But Michigan wouldn't have as much of a conversation or opportunity because their strength of schedule is so weak. And so USC is also on the outside looking in. But USC, if they went out, they have a conversation as well to be in there. So those are the teams. LSU, USC, they're the ones vying for that last spot. But a loser in a conference championship, even if it's Ohio State, they're likely going to be on the outside looking in without, as Joey mentioned, a lot of help.
0: All right, so a lot of urgency here, maybe a little bit more from the Michigan side. Let's, let's pick the game. Joey, who wins this game?
3: Yeah, <laughs> Ohio State <laughs> wins this game. They're at home. They're the better football team. Uh, and, and it would be unfortunate, honestly, if, if Blake Corm doesn't get a chance to play because he's had a terrific season with the 1,400 yards, 18 touchdowns. Uh, you would hate to see a team come into this type of game and not be fully loaded. So I hope that Blake Coram does get a chance to play in this game, but I believe the Buckeyes win. Joey, why did you laugh
1: when they asked you who wins the game? What, what, are, gonna what was the laugh
3: about? Well, he's not going to pick <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> well, Otto, as uh, Acho, as you know, and I've sat in studio with you when Texas has a big game. And, and you know, even though we do this uh, for a living now as our jobs, and, and we, we we try to stay. Uh, neutral, it's impossible in the rivalry games. <laughs> Ohio State wins this game. I would pick them if they, were, if they weren't ranked in, and Michigan was ranked number three. And Ohio State it. wins. That's all I can say.
1: Yeah, and I'm with you. I mean, that, the question is going to come down to, I believe, will Michigan be able to pass the ball? And so far they haven't. J.J. McCarthy's ranked 84th when it comes to passing yards of Michigan quarterback. They have to rely on their running game. Ohio State doesn't. Even if Mayan Williams is injured or Trayvon Henderson is injured, they've got young guys. Who can play as well, and even if those running backs are hurt, get it to the receivers. So offensively, I think Ohio State is too much of a powerhouse. And Joey went there, so I think I'm gonna pick him too. <laughs> there you go. He's not
0: here. You know, you can, you can you can safely pick the other team if you want. Anyway, thanks guys. That is the biggest rivalry game of the weekend, but it's certainly not the only one. College football rivalry weekend rolls on tonight. Florida takes on number 16 Florida State, and then tomorrow, number six USC hosts number 15 Notre Dame. Both those games. Begin at 7.30 Eastern on ABC and the ESPN app. Coming up, back to the NFL where Josh Allen stole the show for Buffalo, but we'll tell you why an injury to their biggest star on defense could be the thing that dashes their Super Bowl dream.
4: Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills
0: First game of the day on Thanksgiving saw the Bills visiting the Lions. Just under five minutes to play in the fourth quarter, the Bills were trailing the Lions 22-19. First and ten from the Detroit 39-yard line, you see Josh Allen connects with Stephon Diggs for the first down. Bills move the chains. Later in the drive, Bills had second and 10 in the red zone. Allen throws in the direction of Diggs, but he can't come down with the ball in his hand. Lions called for roughing the passer on the play,
1: Sacho. And you can't make a mistake like that, especially late in the game. You have to understand that the ball is out. Don't throw him to the ground. No penalty will be called. And it was
0: costly. Two plays later, second and goal. Allen finds Diggs off the slant for the touchdown. Now, the Bills missed the extra point. So they lead 25-22. Under a minute to go now for the Lions. Fourth and inches from near midfield. Amon Ross St. Brown in motion. Takes the handoff. Gets the first down. Lions still alive. couple plays later, Jared Goff hits St. Brown over the middle. But St. Brown falls just short of the first down marker, which means the Lions have to settle for a field goal attempt. This is a 51-yard attempt from Michael Badgley. It's going right. It's curled back in. The Lions tie the game at 25, so 23 seconds left for Josh Allen. What do you think, Sacho?
1: He got a shot? It's Josh Allen. He always has a shot. Even though he was struggling earlier in the game, this is a frozen rope. 40 yards down the field. I-, I was speechless.
0: We got Justin Jefferson highlights, Stefan Diggs highlights. but That is still the trade that keeps on giving, is it not? Allen fits the ball in perfectly. 13 seconds to go now. Bill second and seven from the Lions, 36. That's Allen running. He's wincing in pain, but we know he's going to keep doing it. Next play is a 45-yard game-winning field goal attempt by Tyler Bass. It is good. The Bills hang on. They win 28-25 to over the Lions, capping off a really fascinating week for them, uh, which saw them play in Detroit twice in the span of five days uh, because of the storm that hit up there in Buffalo. But they managed to win both games. So is Josh? You're watching Josh Allen play yesterday. Does he look to you like he's playing at a championship level?
1: No, he doesn't. Doesn't look to anyone like he's playing at a championship level. What has he got? Four red zone turnovers that you see. His arm is still injured. You can tell he's not making throws the way that he usually makes throws. Now I get it. The fourth quarter, he did look dominant, and there were some not only the runs, but some of those throws he made in the fourth quarter that reminded you of who Josh Allen is. But the usual Josh Allen we see is making those throws on a much more consistent level and a much more consistent basis. We're all waiting for that arm injury to heal. We don't know when it will heal, but until then, he's not going to look the same, and he hasn't looked the same.
0: Chris Canty, do you agree? What are you seeing from Josh Allen?
2: Well, listen, poor clock management by the Lions left the door open. 23 seconds on the clock. Turns out Josh Allen only needed 21, and that was an absolute strike that he threw to Steph Diggs. But people forget that this guy ran the ball twice on that drive for 12 yards to set up the go-ahead score, the game-winning score. And so I I look at Josh Allen as a quarterback that always gives you a chance. But I'm with Sacho. The red zone turnovers have got to stop. I mean, the Buffalo Bills have 19 turnovers on the season, which leads the league, and they have six of those turnovers in the red zone. That is unacceptable. Most of that is Josh Allen. And then you're talking about this team having 10 red zone trips with no points on the season, which is by far the most in the National Football League. So until they clean up that part of it, it's hard to buy into the Buffalo Bills being true title contenders, especially with them playing as many one-score games as they've played over the last couple of years and found themselves on the losing side of them
0: nico this is a team that came into the season as the super bowl favorite josh allen came in as the mvp favorite they are right now in first place do you share the same concerns that these guys do about the Bills?
4: yeah I, I do share those same concerns and and listen i i saw a couple things after that game with body language number one being the very last play that josh allen scrambled on he got his legs taken out so hard, and he hit the ground. He almost stayed down for a second. He got up. He shook it off. He ran off the field. Everyone was asking him if he was okay. So, number one, he's taken a lot of damage so far this season. Tons of big hits. We know his elbows hurt, but physically he's getting beat up. And then after the game, when they won, there was an embrace between Josh Allen and Diggs. They hugged each other, and I think everyone saw that. And and after the hug, you see Josh Allen kind of just go, <sighs> like, let some air out. He said a word. I can't say the word. But you almost saw a little bit of the frustration <laughs> of that was, lot, that was a lot harder. That was a dogfight that we weren't expected to be in. We thought this was just going to be a Thanksgiving, yeah, 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 we have yeah. fun, we eat the turkey. Like No, it was a battle. And, and he was beat up. He's feeling it. And I think the Bills right now, the team, as a team, we know Von Miller's banged up. I think they're, they're hurting a little bit.
0: Yeah, look, it has, as they say, been a week uh, for the Buffalo Bills. But you mentioned, Ninko, the Von Miller injury. This was a significant development in this game. Von Miller, their big prize free agent acquisition from the offseason, leaves the game with a knee injury. We don't know the severity of it yet. If he has to miss time, Rob, what does that mean for Buffalo?
4: Not good. I, I think that it takes their Super Bowl aspirations away you needed Von Miller. That's why you went and paid Von Miller, because you needed the closer. You had to have that guy in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line. He's done it this year. That gets a strip sack or a big big TFL. Von Miller is that guy. So the thing that concerns me, I've torn my ACL before. I know what this I, – and I didn't tear it completely. I sprained it. But the problem is when you sprain it, it's in, it doesn't have the stability. There's no stability, and he's already injured that knee in 2013. So I don't want to speculate that that's what it is, but when you go on a cart and you don't walk off the field, it, it, it makes me a little concerned.
0: Chris, how concerned should the Bills be about Von Miller possibly having to miss time?
2: They should be real concerned because we know what Von Miller means to this team. He's top 10 in sacks, but most importantly, he's third in quarterback pressures on the year behind Micah Parsons and Matt Jadon. That's pretty good company, but in terms of his overall impact on the Buffalo Bills season, think about what Von Miller meant to the Los Angeles Rams last year. I mean, he won a game for them down in Tampa with a strip sack. He was a big part of them putting pressure on Joe Burrow and winning that Super Bowl. That's why they brought him over. They wanted Von Miller to be their version of of Charles Haley to kick off this dynastic run that the Buffalo Bills seem poised to go on over the next several years. But without Vaughn Miller, I'm not quite sure that they're going to be able to do that. To Nico's point, Vaughn Miller pass rushers, they're closers. The Buffalo Bills over the last two years, they're four and nine in one score games. It's only going to be exponentially harder if you have to try to win those games without Vaughn.
0: Yeah, a lot of depth on that Buffalo defense, but he does seem to be a key piece. So, obviously, we'll keep you updated as we get more information on the Von Miller injury. Now, though, to our DraftKings question. DraftKings Sportsbook Predictions brought to you by DraftKings. Sacho, who will pass for more yards on Sunday night, Aaron Rodgers
1: or Jalen Hurts? I changed my answer. First, I went Hurts, and I changed it to Rodgers. We talk about the broken thumb and all those things, but even the last three games, four games, Aaron Rodgers has passed for over 200 yards. Just Jalen Hurts the last two games under 200 yards, and so I get it. He's injured. They're losing. the The Eagles are way better. All the things. Aaron Rodgers will have more passing yards. I think Jalen Hurts will have more total yards. All right. Well, let's put the,
0: our picks up for this game. This is Packers-Eagles. It's Sunday Night Football, and. Uh, did anybody pick the Packers for the upset here I, I'm, I'm looking at the picks I'm looking at y'all we're not looking at the pick I don't think anybody I'm we'll looking take at, our I'm, word I'm for say it. nobody did I don't I. take our word for it that we all picked the Eagles let's so let's here you go see we were right all picked the Eagles <laughs> anyway let's live in a world where uh, this happens and Green Bay loses again and they are just about out of the playoff race all but mathematically what should they do at quarterback? Should they, I mean, should they sit Rodgers and his injured thumb down and play Jordan Love?
1: No, nah, this is an Aaron Rodgers question. This is not an organization question. This dude's got $50 million a year. The next year he has $60 million. Yes. So, like, forty, forty something. This year, Sixty million next year. Aaron Rodgers is in charge. He's in control. They can't sit him. They're paying him too much dinero.
0: Nico, what do you think?
1: I'm ditto on Acho right here.
4: I'm saying exactly what Acho is saying. Aaron Rodgers is in the driver's seat.
0: How about you,
2: Chris? Yeah, I think they sit him right after the bye week, use that space to get Jordan Love ready to play the final four games of the season. It doesn't matter about the cap hit. There are ways to manipulate the cap. We saw that with the Philadelphia Eagles. They moved on. A $34 million of Wentz's contract made the playoffs. We saw yeah. with the Rams once upon a time, eight twenty-five million million from Jared Goff's contract won the Super Bowl. So I look at this as a situation where they need to do what's in the best interest of the franchise.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens there in an increasingly lost season for uh, Green Bay. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $150 in free bets if your team's money line bet wins. Plus, special shout-out to any viewers in Maryland in our audience who can now bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app and use code GETUP when you sign up.